Chapter forty six of East Lynn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Chris Curran. East Lynn by Mrs. Henry Wood. Chapter forty six. Until Eternity. Barbara was at the seaside, and Lady Isabel was in her bed, dying. You remember the old French saying, Le homme propose et Dieu dispose. An exemplification of it was here. She, Lady Isabel, had consented to remain at East Lynn during Mrs. Carlyle's absence on purpose that she might be with her children, but the object was frustrated, for Lucy and Archibald had been removed to Miss Carlyle's. It was Mr. Carlyle's arrangement. He thought the governess ought to have the entire respite from all charge, and that poor governess dared not say, Let him stay with me. Lady Isabel had also purposed to be safely away from East Lynne before the time came for her to die, but that time had advanced with giant strides, and the period for removal was past. She was going out, as her mother had done, rapidly, unexpectedly, like the snuff of a candle. Wilson was in attendance on her mistress. Joyce remained at home. Barbara had chosen a watering-place near, not thirty miles off, so that Mr. Carlyle went there most evenings, returning to his office in the mornings. Thus... He saw a little of Eastland, paying one or two flying visits only, from the Saturday to the Wednesday. In the second week, he did not come home at all, and it was in those few days that Lady Isabel had changed for the worse. On the Wednesday, he was expected home to dinner and to sleep. Joyce was in a state of frenzy, or next door to it. Lady Isabel was dying, and what would become of the ominous secret, a convection born of her fears, was on the girl's mind that, with death, the whole must become known, and who was to foresee what blame might not be cast upon her by her master and mistress, for not having disclosed it, she might be accused of having been an abitur in the plot from the first. Fifty times it was in Joyce's mind to send for Miss Carlyle, and tell her all. The afternoon was fast waning, and the spirit of Lady Isabel seemed to be waning with it. Joyce was in the room, in attendance upon her. She had been in a fainting state all day, but felt better now. She was partially raised in bed by pillows, a white cashmere shawl over her shoulders, her nightcap off, to allow as much air as possible to come to her, and the windows stood open. Footsteps sounded on the gravel in the quiet stillness of the summer air. They penetrated even to her ear, for all her faculties were keen yet. Beloved footsteps and a tinge of hectic rose to her cheeks. Joyce, who stood at the window, glanced out. It was Mr. Carlyle. Joyce came forth a cry from the bed, sharp and eager. Joyce turned round. My lady, I should die happily if I might see him. See him, uttered Joyce, doubting her own ears. My lady, see him, Mr. Carlyle. What can it signify? I am already as one dead. Should I ask it or wish it? Think you in rude life? The yearning has been upon me for days, Joyce. It is keeping death away. It could not be, my lady, was the decisive answer. It must not be, it is, as a thing impossible. Lady Isabel burst into tears. I can't die for the trouble, she wailed. You keep my children from me. They must not come, you say, lest I should betray myself. Now you would keep my husband. Joyce, Joyce, let me see him. Her husband, poor thing. Joyce was in a maze of distress, though not the less firm. Her eyes were wet with tears but she believed she should be infringing her allegiance to her mistress. 
did she bring Mr. Carlyle to the presence of his former wife. Altogether it might be productive of nothing but confusion. A knock at the chamber door, Joyce called out. Come in. The two maids, Hannah and Sarah, were alone in the habit of coming to the room, and neither of them had ever known Madame Vine as Lady Isabel. Sarah put in her head. Master wants you, Miss Joyce. I'll come. He is in the dining room. I have just taken down Master Arthur to him. Mr. Carlyle had got Master Arthur on his shoulder. When Joyce entered, Master Arthur was decidedly given to noise and rebellion, and was already, as Wilson expressed it, sturdy upon his pins. How is Madame Vine, Joyce? Joyce scarcely knew how to answer, but she did not dare to equivocate as to her precarious state, and where the use, when a few hours, would probably see the end of it. She is very ill, indeed, sir. Worse? Sir, I fear she is dying. Mr. Carlyle, in his consternation, put down Arthur. Dying? I hardly think she will last till morning, sir. Why, what has killed her? He uttered in amazement. Joyce did not answer. He looked pale and confused. Have you had Dr. Martin? Oh, no, sir, it would be of no use. No use, repeated Mr. Carlyle in a sharp accent. Is that the way to treat dying people? Assume it is of no use to spend for advice, and so quietly let them die. If Madame Vine is as ill as you say, a telegraphic message must be sent off at once. I had better see her, he cried, moving to the door. Joyce, in her perplexity, dared to place her back against it, preventing his egress. Oh, master, I beg your pardon, but it would not be right. Please, sir, do not think of going into her room. Mr. Carlyle thought Joyce was taken with a fit of prudery. Why can't I go in, he asked. Mrs. Carlyle would not like it, sir, stammered Joyce, her cheeks scarlet now. Mr. Carlyle stared at her. Some of you take up odd ideas, he cried. In Mrs. Carlyle's absence, it is necessary that someone should see her. Let a lady die in my house and never see after her. You are out of your senses, Joyce. I shall go in after dinner, so prepare Madame Vine. The dinner was being brought in then. Joyce, feeling like one in a nervous attack, picked up Arthur and carried him to Sarah in the nursery. What on earth was she to do? Scarcely had Mr. Carlyle begun his dinner. When his sister entered, some grievance had arisen between her and the tenants of certain houses of hers, and she was bringing the dispute to him. Before he would hear it, he begged her to go up to Madame Vine, telling her what Joyce had said of her state. Dying, exclaimed Miss Corney, in disbelieving derision, that Joyce has been more like a simpleton lately than like herself. I can't think what has come to the woman. She took off her bonnet and mantle and laid them on a chair, gave a twitch or two to her cap as she surveyed it in the pure glass, and went upstairs. Joyce answered her knock at the invalid's door, and Joyce, when she saw who it was, turned as white as any sheet. Oh, ma'am, you must not come in, she blundered out in her confusion and fear as she put herself right in the doorway. Who is to keep me out demanded miss carlyle after a pause of surprise her tone of quiet power move away girl joyce i think your brain must be softening what will you try at next joyce was powerless both in right and in strength and she knew it she knew there was no help that miss carlyle would and must enter she stood aside shivering and passed out of the room as soon as miss carlyle was within it ah there could no longer be concealment now there she was, her pale face lying against the pillow, 
free from its disgusting trappings, the band of gray velvet, the spectacles, the wraps for the throat and chin, the huge cap, all were gone. It was the face of Lady Isabel, changed certainly, very, very much, but still hers. The silvered hair fell on either side of her face, like the silky curls had once fallen. The sweet, sad eyes were the eyes of yore. Mercy be good to us, uttered Miss Carlyle. They remained gazing at each other, both panting with emotion. Yes, even Miss Carlyle, though a wild suspicion had once crossed her brain that Madame Vine might be Lady Isabel. It had died away again from the sheer improbability of the thing, as much as from the convincing proofs offered by Lord Mount Severn, not but what Miss Carlyle had borne in mind the suspicion, and had been fond of tracing the likeness in Madame Vine's face. How could you dare come back here? she abruptly asked, her tone of sad, soft wailing, not one of reproach. Lady Isabel humbly crossed her attended hands upon her chest. My children, she whispered, how could I stay away from them? Have pity, Miss Carlyle, don't reproach me. I am on my way to God, to answer for all my sins and sorrows. I do not reproach you, said Miss Carlyle. I am so glad to go. She continued to murmur, her eyes full of tears. Jesus did not come, you know, to save the good like you. He came for the sake of us poor sinners. I tried to take up my cross, as he bade us, and bear it bravely for his sake, but its weight has killed me. The good like you, humbly, meekly, differentially, was it expressed, in all good faith and trust, as though Miss Corney was a sort of upper angel. Somehow the words grated on Miss Corney's ear, grated fiercely on her conscience. It came into her mind, then, as she stood there, that the harsh religion that she had through life professed was not the religion that would best bring peace to her dying bed. Child, said she, drawing near to and leaning over Lady Isabel, had I anything to do with sending you from East Lynne? Lady Isabel shook her head and cast down her gaze as she whispered, You did not send me. You did not help to send me. I was not very happy with you. But that was not the cause of my going away. Forgive me, Miss Carlyle, forgive me. Thank God, inwardly breathed Miss Carlyle. Forgive me, she said, aloud and in agitation, touching her hand. I could have made your home happier, and I wish I had done it. I have wished it ever since you left it. Lady Isabel drew the hand in hers. I want to see Archibald. She whispered, going back in thought, to the old time and the old name. I have prayed Joyce to bring him to me, and she will not only for a minute just to hear him say that he forgives me what can it matter now that i am as one lost to the world i should die easier upon what impulse or grounds miss carlyle saw fit to accede to the request cannot be told probably she did not choose to refuse a deathbed prayer possibly she reasoned as did lady isabel what could it matter she went to the door joyce was in the corridor leaning against the wall, her apron up to her eyes, Miss Carlyle beckoned to her. How long have you known of this? Since that night in the spring, when there was an alarm of fire, I saw her then, with nothing on her face, and knew her, though at the first moment I thought it was her ghost. Ma'am, I have just gone about since, like a ghost myself from fear. Go and request your master to come up to me. Oh, ma'am, Will it be well to tell him, remonstrated Joyce, well that he should see her? Go and request your master to come to me. 
unequivocally repeated miss carlyle are you mistress joyce or am i joyce went down and brought mr carlyle up from the dinner table is madame vine worse cornelia will she see me she wishes to see you miss carlyle opened the door as she spoke he motioned her to pass in first no she said you had better see her alone he was going in when joyce caught his arm master master you ought to be prepared ma'am won't you tell him he looked at them thinking they must be moonstruck for their conduct seemed inexplicable both were evident agitation and emotion miss carlyle was not given to her face and lips were twitching but she kept a studied silence mr carlyle knit his brow and went into the chamber they shut him in he walked gently at once to the bed in his straightforward manner i am grieved madame vine the words faltered on his tongue he was a man as little given to show emotion as man can well be did he think as joyce had once done that it was a ghost he saw certain it is that his face and lips turned the hue of death and he backed a few steps from the bed the falling hair the sweet mournful eyes the hectic which his presence brought to her cheeks told too plainly of the lady isabel archibald she put out her trembling hand she caught him ere he had drawn quite beyond her reach he looked at her he looked around the room as does one awaking from a dream i could not die without your forgiveness she murmured her eyes falling before him as she thought of her past do you turn from me bear with me a little minute only say forgive me and i shall die in peace isabel he spoke not knowing in the least what he said are you are you were you madame vine oh forgive forgive me i did not die i got well from the accident but it changed me dreadfully nobody knew me and i came here as madame vine i could not stay away archibald forgive me his mind was in a whirl his ideas had gone wool-gathering the first clear thought that came thumping through his brain was that he must be a man of two wives she noticed his perplexed silence i could not stay away from you and my children the longing for you was killing me she reiterated wildly like one talking in a fever i never knew a moment's peace after the mad act i was guilty of in quitting you not an hour had i departed when my repentance set in and even then i would have retraced and come back but i did not know how see what it has done for me tossing up her gray hair holding out her attenuated wrists oh forgive forgive me my sin was great but my punishment was greater it has been as one long scene of mortal agony why did you go asked mr carlyle did you not know no it has always been a mystery to me i went out of love for you a shade of disdain crossed his lips she was equivocating to him on her deathbed do not look in that way she panted my strength is nearly gone you must perceive that it is and i do not perhaps express myself clearly i loved you dearly and i grew suspicious of you i thought you were false and deceitful to me that your love was all given to another and in my sore jealousy i listened to the temptings of that bad man who whispered to me of revenge it was not so was it mr carlyle had regained his calmness outwardly at any rate he stood by the side of the bed looking down upon her his arms crossed upon his chest and his noble form raised to its full height was it so she feverishly repeated 
Can you ask it, knowing me as you did then, as you must have known me since? I never was false to you in thought, in word, or in deed. Oh, Archibald, I was mad. I was mad. I could not have done it in anything but madness. Surely you will forget and forgive. I cannot forget. I have already forgiven. Try and forget the dreadful time that has passed since that night, she continued, the tears falling on her cheeks as she held up to him one of her poor hot hands. Let your thoughts go back to the days when you first knew me, when I was here. Isabel Vane, a happy girl with my father. At times I have lost myself in a moment's happiness in thinking of it. Do you remember how you grew to love me, though you thought you might not tell it to me, and how gentle you were with me? When Papa died and the hundred-pound note, do you remember coming to the castle Marling, and my promise to be your wife, and the first kiss you left upon my lips? And, O oh Archibald, do you remember the loving days after I was your wife, how happy we were with each other? Do you remember when Lucy was born? We thought I should have died, and your joy, your thankfulness that God restored me. Do you remember all this? Aye, he did remember it. He took the poor hand into his, and unconsciously played with its wasted fingers. Have you any reproach to cast to me? He gently said, bending his head a little. Reproach to you, to you who must be almost without reproach in the sight of heaven. You who were everlasting to me, ever anxious for my welfare, when I think of what you were and are, and how I quitted you, I could sink into the earth with remorse and shame, my own sin. I cannot expiate the shame I entailed upon you and upon our children. Never he felt it as keenly now as he had felt it then. Think that it has been for me, she resumed and he was obliged to bend his ear to catch her gradually weakening tones to live in this house with your wife to see your love for her to watch the envied caress that once were mine i never loved you so passionately as i have done since i lost you think what it was to watch william's decaying strength to be alone with him in his dying hour and not to be able to say he is my child as well as yours when he lay dead and the news went forth to the household it was her pretty grief you soothed not mine his mother's god alone knows how i have lived through it all it has been to me as the bitterness of death why did you come back was the response of mr carlyle i have told you i could not live wanting you and my children it was wrong wrong in all ways wickedly wrong you cannot think worse of it than i have done but the consequences and the punishment would be mine alone as long as i guarded against discovery I never thought to stop here to die, but death seems to have come on me with a leap, like it came to my mother. A pause of labored hard breathing, Mr. Carlyle did not interrupt it. All wrong, all wrong, she resumed, this interview with you, among the rest, and yet I hardly know. It cannot hurt the new ties you have formed, for I am as one dead now to this world, hovering on the brink of the next. But you were my husband, Archibald, and the last few days I have longed for your forgiveness with a fevered longing. Oh, that the past could be blotted out, that I could wake up and find it but a hideous dream, that I were here, as in old days, in health and happiness, your ever-loving wife. Do you wish it, that the dark past had never had place? She put the question in a sharp, eager tone, gazing up to him with an anxious gaze, as though the answer might be one of life or death. 
for your sake i wish it calm enough were the words spoken and her eyes fell again and a deep sigh came forth i am going to william but lucy and archibald will be left oh do you never be unkind to them i pray you visit not their mother's sin upon their heads do not in your love for your lighter children lose your love for them have you seen anything in my conduct that could give rise to fears of this he returned reproached mingled in a sad tone the children are dear to me as you once were as i once was i and as i might have been now indeed you might he answered with emotion the fault was not mine archibald i am on the very threshold of the next world will you not bless me will you not say a word of love to me before i pass it let what i am i say be blotted for the moment from your memory think of me if you can as the innocent timid child whom you made your wife only a word of love my heart is breaking for it he leaned over her he pushed aside the hair from her brow with his gentle hand his tears dropping on her face you nearly broke mine when you left me isabel he whispered may god bless you and take you to his rest in heaven may he so deal with me as i now fully and freely forgive you what was he about to do lower and lower bent his head until his breath nearly mingled with hers to kiss her he best knew but suddenly his face grew red with a scarlet flush and he lifted it again did the form of one then in a felon's cell at lynborough thrust itself before him or that of his absent and unconscious wife to his rest in heaven she murmured in the hollow tones of the departing yes yes i know that god had forgiven me oh what a struggle it has been nothing but bad feelings rebellion and sorrow and repining for a long while after i came back here but jesus prayed for me and helped me and you know how merciful he is to the weary and heavy laden we shall meet again archibald and live together forever and ever but for that great hope i could hardly die william said mamma would be on the banks of the river looking out for him but it is william who is looking for me mr carlyle released one of his hands she had taken them both and with his own white handkerchief wiped the death dew from her forehead it is no sin to anticipate it archibald for there will be no marrying or giving in marriage in heaven christ said so though we do not know how it will be my sin will be remembered no more there and we shall be together with our children forever and forever keep a little corner in your heart for your poor lost isabel yes yes he whispered are you leaving me she uttered in a wild tone of pain are you growing faint i perceive i must call assistance farewell then farewell until eternity she sighed the tears raining from her eyes it is death i think not faintness oh but it is hard to part farewell farewell my once dear husband she raised her head from the pillow excitement giving her strength she clung to his arm she lifted her face in its sad yearning mr carlyle laid her tenderly down again and suffered his wet cheek to rest upon hers until eternity she followed him with her eyes as he retreated and watched him from the room then turned her face to the wall it is over only god now mr carlyle took an instant's counsel with himself stopping at the head of the stairs to do it joyce in obedience to a sign from him had already gone into the sick chamber his sister was standing at the door cornelia she followed him down to the dining-room 
You will remain here tonight with her? Do you suppose I shouldn't? Crossly responded Miss Corney. Where are you off to now? To the telegraph office at present, to send for Lord Mount Severn. What good can he do? None. But I shall send for him. Can't one of the servants go just as well as you? You have not finished your dinner, hardly begun it. He turned his eyes on the dinner table in a mechanical sort of way. His mind wholly preoccupied made some remark and answer, which Miss Corney did not catch and went out. On his return, his sister met him in the hall, drew him inside the nearest room, and closed the door. Lady Isabel was dead, has been dead about ten minutes. She never spoke after you left her, Archibald. There was a slight struggle at the last, a fighting for breath. Otherwise, she went off quite peacefully. I felt sure, when I first saw her this afternoon, that she could not last till midnight. End of chapter 46 Recording by Chris Caron Ham Lake, Minnesota.